first off, before I mention that, I want to share with the viewers some key facts and figures for Friends of Distinction as reference points. Um, Grayson uh, album number 10, R&B, Highly Distinct number 14, Real Friends number nine, which was the third album. Mm. As far as the singles go, um, Grayson went to number five, R&B, number three, pop, Going in Circles, number 15, pop, number three, R&B, mm. and Love or Let Me Be Lonely, number six, pop, number 13, R&B, Time Waits for No One, number 37, R&B. So, Real Friends, that album to me, I think you can make a case that it's the strongest overall. Is that right? From start to finish. To me, did it just sounds did you say a friends? little more assured in the production and just the whole thing is so polished and just really well done. Well, thank you. Thank you. So you said Real Friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I've been looking on, on, on Facebook for comments every now and then, and a lot of people um you know love that album see now now th there's another album called friends and people and that was just jessica floyd and myself we did that album but uh, i think uh, uh real friends i think was overall you know with especially with love or let me lonely being in there then we did some country stuff on there too out in the country and stuff like that so that that was kind of cool anyway okay i'm glad you like it <laughs> Well, I was looking at the credits, and I thought that that was the one where Ray Cork uh, came in officially as a producer. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah. yeah, see, and then, let's see, oh, Perry Botkin was one of the arrangers. Perry just died the other, last year. But uh, that's when, now, see, we got hooked up with, uh, you heard of Skip Scarborough? Yeah, I was going to mention him, yeah. Okay, well, that was, a, that was like a little click. Jessica's a little click. Jerry Peters, Anita Poray, Greg Poray, uh, Skip Scarborough, David Crawford. And, and they were young, like I said, they were young too. But we were like the catalyst for them getting their writing skills and chops and arranging because they did it with us, you know. And it was cool because we didn't put no pressure on them. But we, were, we were rookies. We didn't know what the hell we were doing either. But uh, that's where that, push, that little click came from uh, with, with Jessica and, and Jerry Peters and all those people. I wanted to mention also, uh, Harry, on the uh, Grayson album, Lonesome Mood is a highlight for me. Real longer, jazzy, bluesy kind of track. Yeah, Very yeah. cool. Thank you. Now, that's the song that we initially recorded for Ray Charles on his label, Tangerine Label. As a matter of fact, I haven't seen it in a while, but there, I don't know if you remember the show Shindig. Yeah. Well, Shindig, we did it on Shindig, and there was a video but I can't find the video. Maybe they stopped showing it. But Lonesome Mood is a song that we recorded on RPM International Race uh, Tangerine label. Lonesome Mood. You like that? Okay, that's cool. No wonder you had it down so pat by then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we sang it, you know, on the road. Yeah, exactly. And what all we had to do is teach Barbara and Jessica. So that, that's where the sound, I was mentioning earlier, the sound comes because, because with Jessica with that high you know, four and a half octave, you know, we could go from there to there all the time, you know. So that that helped, that helped. And then on uh, Real Friends, I really liked uh, Crazy Mary. Crazy Mary, Charlene Gibson. Yep, golly, that's, that's good, that's good. A lot of people like that song. And you see, the thing with Skip and Jerry and those, they wrote meaningful lyrics. I mean, they made sense. You know, Crazy Mary makes a lot of sense. There's a song called Will of Faith that Floyd did. You know about 
getting big time and changing your name, you know, stuff like that. So, but 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 that's that's weird that you mentioned uh, that song, uh, uh, Crazy Mary. That's cool. That's cool. Well, the harmonies are incredible in that. Uh, uh, a lot of people like those harmonies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Now, let me. You must have been a musician at some at, at one point. Of, did, did you ever play anything? You ever sing or what? A little. Uh, I can't. Well, no, I can't sing. That's one of my Achilles' heel. But I played some uh, alto sax and guitar and keyboards. And I was okay. I, I was a disc jockey. Large reason because I love music so much, but I can't okay. sing. So I have okay. to find a way to bring it to the people. You know. Well, hey, that's cool, man. And you, and it's like you, it's like you understand and you appreciate. So that's the main thing, man. You know. Oh. That's like makes my heart beat, man. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Harry, what were some of the uh, memorable TV appearances and and things you did of that nature, like during the the height of of Friends of Distinction, that stand out to you? Well, one TV show, the Ed Sullivan Show. I, I did Johnny Carson show and Ed Sullivan mixed up in terms of the guest, but one I think this was Johnny Carson. We did the show with Groucho Marx and Lucille Ball. That was that was cool. That was very cool. And uh, now the Ed Sullivan show, I can't remember who was on there, but but just meeting Mr. Sullivan and or or and I remember when we did Johnny Carson, he stuck his head around the corner to see what we were doing and hey, how you doing, blah blah blah. And see with Jim being with us, you know, they, you know, Jim took they they gravitated to Jim and we could do our little thing over there. But the, the memorable things in like Joey Bishop's show and and uh, Shindig's show and Hollywood Palace, all of those shows, they were so cool. But again, you see, it was like you come in town, you do the show, the next day you're on a plane and you're gone. So you don't absorb none of that stuff. Sometimes you never see the show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I haven't seen some of these shows or maybe on YouTube. But uh, that was the most memorable experience with Lucille Ball and Groucho Marx. I, and then we did the Flip Wilson show. We had fun with Flip. Uh, Della Reese did Della Reese show. And that was kind of cool because we did skits and stuff like that. But we were, hey, we were, we were in the mix, but we were doing it. <laughs> um, what about in, uh, when you guys were on stage uh, for concerts? Uh, who are some of the more notable people that you went out with and can, okay. you and can you share with us one or two uh, special memories, whether it was something unexpected or something amazing or whatever? One of, one of the, the memorable uh, people that I'd like to go out with, Laura Nero. It was uh, like, she was very ethereal and uh, she would have her piano and she'd have a candle on the, on the, and it was very low key. It was like, when Laura was in the, she didn't say much, but when she was in the house, you know, things were quiet. So I loved touring with her. We did a lot of tours with um, Jerry Butler and Brenda Lee Ager. We used to work with them all the time. Oh man, Kenny Rogers, the Four Seasons, um, uh, all those groups back in the Spiral Staircase. We, you know, they you get little group group concerts. Um, let me see, John Denver. John used to open the show for us back in the, before he even got married. Then he got married and he had a baby, brought his baby to the first concert. And like I said, then we did Tom Jones. And that was that was a trip. We were a six-week tour with Tom, Brother Tom. And that was crazy. 
because he was at the peak of you know his career and we had grace and so it was tons of people and that was an experience maybe one time you know they used to say the the ladies would throw their panties on stage and stuff but <laughs> true and then one night tom was he got some panties in his hand <laughs> and he's throwing them back and his went ring <laughs> went with went with and oh lord so somebody please you know did somebody find my ring my ring and they found it they gave it to him that was an experience there um so that's a wedding ring or just a ring uh i think it's a wedding ring because that would be <laughs> something to tell the wife i lost <laughs> it handling some other woman's panties that <laughs> It was. Did you did you get her name, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> but oh man, uh, wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, let me see. Oh, and we used to we used to tour with all kinds of people, and it was so much fun. Um, Kenny Rogers. I remember when Kenny. Uh, who was that? I forget. I forget. But we used to do a lot. Kenny and I were cool. We were very cool. But I haven't seen him since the tours. You know. Um, but then we went, we used, to, we used to do the Fairmont Hotel chain. And it was, we would go from a college gig to a funky club in, in Boston, the Sugar Shack, to the Fairmont Hotel with, you know, uppity people and stuff like that. So that was a transit. We have to wear tuxes, you know. So one, one concert, we're down in our low-down stuff, and then the next one, we're in our tuxes and upscale and stuff like that. That was cool. That was cool because it taught, it taught you, you know, how to relate to different types of audiences. And uh, and all of it wasn't cool. I mean, I remember in New Orleans, we had this song where we go around shaking people's hands and I went to shake this gentleman's hand. He wouldn't shake my hand. <laughs> so that was, it kind of blew me for a minute, threw me a loop and I looked at Floyd. Floyd said, forget about it. And we were cool. And then one time we were, we were at uh, uh, U of D, University of Detroit, I think. And uh, it was like, the concert was like open. Like nowadays, you know, you have the fence and the security. This cat, muscle, big muscle. He walked up on the stage and he started playing the congas. <laughs> I'm looking at him. And Floyd, Floyd, I could see Floyd getting huffy. I said, hey, 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 let it go. Let it go. Don't worry about it. He laughed. We let the cat play. The cat played and went and sat on down, you know, because he backstage, they would have been a riot. It would have been right because you had two little policemen there. What they gonna do, you know? With this dude here with the muscles that he had, but those kinds of experiences. Then sometimes uh, you you do mishaps on stage. You slip or drop the mic and stuff like fun stuff. You know, we always laugh because we had fun. And then one time, I never forget, uh, Jim and I had an argument. We were going on a tour at the airport, and I got pissed off. Forget, I'm going home. I threw my little charts down and went home. And then the, the group took off. And uh, I said, that wasn't too cool. That was dumb. You know, so I called the promoter. And they had his private jet to come pick me up and stuff like that. And Florida and them were on this concert that just started. And they were singing. I don't know what they were going to do about Grayson. I don't know. But uh, I walked on stage. They looked at me and everybody started laughing, you know. <laughs> so we, hey, we were... We were kind of wild and crazy. I won't go into a whole lot of stuff. We were wild, drug, sex, and rock and roll. We were in the middle of it. <laughs> you know? It sounds like you really had an interesting cross-section, though, of fans and followers. I mean, 
Yeah. Would you say what, what would you say the makeup was in terms of it demographically, like with whites and blacks and whatever? Um, it would depend on where we were playing. Like like we did this concert at uh, Indiana University, U of, U of I or something like that. Now look look at this bill. Count Basie, Watts 103rd Street Rhythm, Charles Wright, Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band and the Friends of Distinction. So that was that was a <laughs> You know, conglomerate of different types of music and genres, and so so that was cool. But I would say, I would say fifty-fifty hmm. demographics. Yeah, I would say now. Now, when you go to different colleges, you know, if you went to Prairie View or something like that, it was it was you know mostly black. Speaking of that, this was an experience. We're coming to play Prairie View, which is in Texas. And I wanted to play it because my aunts, I had a couple of aunts who were school teachers, they graduated from there. So I wanted to play Prairie View. So we, we had this private play. This was, a, it was called a, well, Twin Otter de Havilland, S-T-A-L, short takeoff and landing. So we're circling, not the airport, we're circling the college football field. Pilots said, we're going to land over there. So you got these brothers playing, hup, what, hup, doo. And here comes this plane. You can see them looking up at us. We landed on the football field. <laughs> and those guys, they were blown away. And then we, the roadies loaded our equipment into uh, the auditorium. We did the concert and took off that night from the foot from the uh, football field. So that wow. was that, that was very cool. <laughs> that little plane, that little, I don't know how we stood. And, and we would have the whole band in that plane and some of our equipment. And it was like you could you could and take off like that. Man. As a matter of fact, excuse me. As a matter of fact, it was the same company. This this ain't too cool, but it was the same company where Jim Croce and and uh, <clears throat> went down. We used to do a lot of concert with Ricky Nelson. We were on the same plane this time when Ricky and them went down. They were on Ricky's own plane. So that, when you think about that, that could have been us, you know, Jim and Ricky. Well, same company that we all work for out of Minneapolis and Minnesota. Minnesota, you know. So I think I thank God for that, man. Really, could have been us. Wow. Yeah. You guys were so busy in a tight frame of time frame. You know, from '69 to '71, there were was one, two, three, four, five, three, four, four, one, two, three, four, five albums. Yeah. From '69 yeah. to '71. I mean. I mean, you think about that later on with how the industry got, and it's just really? unimaginable. <laughs> I yeah. know, I know, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were blessed. You know, I was looking at some of the credits, and I noticed some of the players, at least on the later albums, included people like um, Wilton Felder and Joe Sample from the Crusaders. Oh yeah, and Harvey Mason, the great drummer. Uh, <laughs> what was it like? With those guys, did you actually get in the studio with those guys? Oh, and yeah. were there some others like them that you also got to play oh, with? Oh yeah, Max Bennett, the guy, you know Max Max Bennett, the world famous bass player. Um, it was like, see, we had, we had, we when we had sessions. Remember Ripple, Ripple uh, uh, wine. Yeah. <laughs> we had Ripple and we <laughs> our sessions, and we would pass out to Ripple. We pass out the weed. And we, our sessions were, were like that. And it was just, you no, know, not all of them, but, uh, and Wenton and Joe, see, we knew them 
when it was the Crusaders when we played the, the the remember I was telling you about the after hours jazz clubs where we used to play as a high five. That's where we first met them. So mm-hmm. then they started doing studio stuff. And Joe's on a whole ton of our stuff, Wilton's on a whole stuff, Sticks is on a whole, Wayne is on some stuff, you know, like so that was that was cool. Um Joe Joe, as a matter of fact, I posted something the other day. It's this song is called Just a Game Love. It was from the movie The Split with Jim Brown. And uh, I think Stevie might have done it, done it initially, but Floyd and Jessica and Joe Sample did it. Oh, man, it is fantastic. Joe's, it was, it was so cool. And then see Clarence McDonald, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but Clarence was working with uh, James Taylor. He started out with James Taylor. And uh, he worked with a lot of top-notch musicians, but Clarence was our keyboard player. And then Jerry Peters was our keyboard player also. So, so man, we were, we were like right in the middle. And we, we gave a lot of people jobs, you know, and, that's, and we didn't realize that until later on. But we keep people working because we did a lot of albums. Why, why, what was going on after like 71 or beginning of 71? Things really fell off in terms of like the sales and the chart positions. And yeah, yeah. What, what changed? What was going on? Well, that's where I think the politics became involved. Remember I was saying the crossover? They didn't know what to do. Because like I said, the the uh, pop department and R&B department were politicizing. So it's like after Lover, Let Me Be Lonely, we wanted to do this song and they wanted to do that song. So when you put out a song and it doesn't hit, then they're gonna start placing, you know, the blame. So the blame games started happening, and then I think we kind of got discouraged, but we were still working. You know, we, you know, we could still, you know, go out and do some concerts. But I think that's the period where Jessica split, you know, and uh, then Barbara split, and you know, we had this girl and Charlene, blah blah, going to Europe, and and it just wasn't happening. This wasn't happening. I think the music was was still okay because we were riding on our laurels. But you didn't have Jessica, you didn't have Barbara, but you had Charlene and other people, you know. Then, then after there's a period, uh, uh, an album called uh, "Love Can Make It Easier." I think it's a good record. I I kind of dug it. That was Skip Scar was in most of, most of that stuff. And now we had two new girls then, Diane Jackson and Danny McCormick. But they did great. They did great. Matter of fact, we did a live album uh, at, at the Omni in, New Orleans, in uh, Atlanta for Martin Luther King Day. So that was a cool concert, live concert. One day you may be able to check it out. But uh, and then just just like I said, it, the transition and we got tired, man. It was you know all those, you know you come home and if you got to change girls, you got to rehearse, you know, and then. Get ready to go on the road. Your costumes made it was it was a drag. It was it was a drag on us. So I think that that kind of had something to do with it. And and at that point we were tired. <laughs> we didn't care. You know, it was, it was like there was a lot of money made, but we we put money the money we made we put it back into the company. So we didn't have. Hey man, I never had no big ass salary. Never. You know, till till afterwards. You know, then grazing the royalties and stuff like that. But other than that, we you know we was we was poor as a church mouse. But we were cool. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Love Can Make It Easier definitely had some uh, cool, funkier tracks on it than like that, huh? the previous stuff. So okay. Okay. I enjoyed hearing you guys 
stretch out into a little more of the groove stuff on that one. Okay, okay. And then and it was it was like it was like the regroup project and everybody was on board. You you could see that album cover cost some money. And uh, but that was cool, but they didn't promote it. They didn't promote that album at all. Now there's a song, there's a song called when a little love began. To, oh, that's on the last album. You ever heard of that song? When a little love began to die. It's a, it's on the album called Revivescence. Um, I'm not sure. It's our last album in 1975, I think. But anyway, what's it called again? The, the album is called Revivescence: Live to Light Again. What's the track called? When a little love began to die. Okay. Now that song there, we all wrote that song and we finished it in New York with a different producer and everything, but they didn't promote that album. They didn't promote the last two albums. So, well, you know, man, what the hell? You, you get discouraged. Now that song I just mentioned, When a Little Love Began to Die, the song was, was, was sampled by a guy named Funky DL. It was produced by uh, a guy named Nujibus. Nujibus is Japanese. He, he passed away. He get, was in an automobile accident. I didn't know who this guy was, and he got killed. And one day, I don't know, I was looking on who sampled this, and there's the song. The song's huge. <laughs> the song is it's a big song in Japan. I mean, it's about eight years old, something like that. But it just goes to show you, again, the audience picked that song, and, and this producer picked that song, and he, and, he, and he put the rapper with it, and then now they change it to don't even try it. That's the name of the song. They're using our track, but from from uh, when little love began to die. But it's, the song is called "Don't Even Try It" by Funky DL. You got to check it out. I will. <laughs> Stepping back just a, a bit to uh, the album "Whatever," in um, <laughs> which we didn't, we didn't really talk about that one, but um, soulful anthem and people talking and saying nothing. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, Soulful Anthem was like a, more of a rock influence. And it seemed like you guys were maybe trying to get a little more rebellious uh, at that time with some of the material. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's a long-ass song, too, the Soulful Anthem. I didn't know what to do on that song. And I just I just rolled with it, you know. Now, people talking, you ever, you ever watch uh, uh, Mike and Molly? Yeah. Remember Mike and Billy Gardell, the Mike? Yeah. Mike, Mike was my neighbor for 15 years. And even before he started his shows, you know, he had a couple of you know, TV things, but he, we were buddies, you know. In, in the, so the other last year, I said, Billy, I've been singing. Billy should do this song because he can sing. You know, he got a gravelly voice. And I sent that song, people talking and saying nothing. He loves it. I don't know if he's ever going to do, but he loved it because I can see him relate because he got some heavy words in there. And Floyd, Floyd did it. People talking, ain't saying a goddamn thing. <laughs> That's funny, man. And it's funny you mentioned those two songs because I never, I mean, Soulful Anthem, that, that song's about 15 minutes long. And we did, no, whatever, see, whatever album, <coughs> excuse me, we were in Vegas working the Flamingo. <coughs> with Steve Allen and uh, his wife. What's her name? Steve, Jane Meadows. We do the show, go home, 
And the next day we'd be in the studio and go do the show at night. So that's why we named it Whatever. <clears throat> because whatever came out was whatever that came out. But that's what, I like that album. I like that album. It was it's it's it's, it's, it's joined together, you know. But but I, I kind of like it. I like the song, some of the songs on there. You and I, and I don't know if Crazy Mary's on there. No, Crazy Mary's on real friend. No, but, but, uh, you, but I, you and I is on there. Yeah, you and I. Okay, okay. Now you don't have you don't have uh, love. Do you have love can make it easier? You got that album, or you just got the credits? Um, no, I listened to it. Online. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. So Harry, you know, you mentioned about the politics, and uh, I think everyone in the business gets <laughs> caught up in that at one point or another. But um, did you feel like you guys got pigeonholed to some extent, also? <laughs> oh, definitely. Because you know, when you're doing stuff like that, we just talked about, maybe they weren't ready for you guys to be something else. Hey, I I, I agree with all of that, hundred percent. But you know, it, it it boils down to, to me, promotion. Like we went on a six week tour, promoting grazing, back in the day, you know. Then we got busy and we couldn't promote like we normally do. But when you got these, these politics and and you got this this department pulling for this song and this department pulling for that song, you know, it, it, you're defeating your purpose. Instead of it's like the the the. the the shutdown now with, with Trump and Pelosi, you know, you know, you know, pay some people and then then talk, you know, discuss the politics later. But but we got like I said before, we got caught up in those politics. And now see you you really get a feeling when you play those college gigs, you know, for the pulse of, of things were. And they would hey, sing this song, sing this song, sing this song. But then you leave and you get into the politics, you go to New York and 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 they they got another song over there, and you saying, but man, but they people like this song. So I we were we were pigeonholed in answer to your question, because you know we did some 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 you know like a song I need you. We did some some political stuff, you know. I liked it, you know, because Jerry, it was meaningful. As a matter of fact, some of it's applicable to this day, you know. But in answer to your question, yes, I think we were pigeonholed. So what were the circumstances or chain of events that led to you kind of officially breaking the group up? Breaking the group up. Well, when when Jessica split, Barbara split, and then we went to Europe and did, did a long tour, it just, the vibe wasn't there. The energy wasn't there. And then and then we weren't selling no records and the, the RCA, there wasn't a good communication thing like it used to be, you know, like it used to be. So we just said, hey man, later for this. And we kind of called it quits. I went, uh Floyd was working, no, that was we worked for our friend of mine and we worked in his company. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was so cool because Mark Spitz was in, in business with with my friend too. My he was my roommate. And it the, the he I I would see Mark every day. We laugh and joke and talk. But Floyd and I worked for this guy his name is Steve Blender and his company called Rain Dance. We sold aerobic stuff. So Floyd and I worked for him and and then um, Floyd uh, had that heart attack and Floyd died basically. I caught him when he had the heart attack. But this, I was living in Encino then up on the hill and Lamont ran, we doing, giving him, you know, trying to revive him and stuff. He didn't, he didn't wake up. That was 
That was 1990, right? Yeah, 1990. Yep, yep. He was 52 years old. Floyd, Floyd, his wife, his mom had a heart attack on a cruise around San Diego. So Floyd had a bad heart. Floyd was a little overweight, and he had started on a diet. I, I think it was Jenny Craig, but I think I think all of the the, the weight and the stuff kind of went to his heart and. Sh- he hit it, man. He just caught him, and he never woke up. He never woke up. And, uh, so, so now when 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 I it kind of opened my mind to the transition, catching the bus. You know, it doesn't affect me the way you know, because I mean, this is my buddy. You know what I'm saying? And then we had to do the funeral arrangements, and and I would see him and talk to him in the funeral home and stuff like that. So that just kind of got me acclimated to to death. And hey, when your turn comes, when the bus comes, you know, you get on it or you don't, you know. But anyway, so that that's that's kind of Floyd and I. Floyd and I, we were roommates for a minute, you know. Then we had a falling out, and I didn't. We didn't talk for a couple of years, and uh, then we got to get back together. We were talking and stuff. We were going to put the group back together when he passed away. Nineteen mm. ninety. Yep, yep. So that's how that went down. What did you mostly preoccupy your time with during the 80, uh, 80s? And playing ball. Yeah. <laughs> playing a lot of ball, doing some some writing, some writing, uh, and just, hey, <laughs> acting crazy, going, going with the flow. You know, I was, I was away from music, totally away from music. And then I, me and Billy wrote, wrote a few songs for Ray and stuff like that. But I was, I, I hated music. I didn't want to do no music, you know. So I was detached. And then, you know, uh, people, man, you ought to put your group back together, blah, blah, blah. So I went through there in the 90s. In the, in the, the 90s, I went through the mid, mid-90s. We played Vegas and all that kind of stuff. But you couldn't, you couldn't command the money that we used to command. And it was the whole, you know, that's what's decline houses and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I got tired of that, man. And then, you know, I'm not ego tripping, but, you know, when you work... <laughs> When you work the main room in Vegas and you come back, you got to work the lounge. It's a little, you know what I'm saying? We worked the MGM mostly, you know, and, uh, but it was cool, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like the main show, you know? So you had to put your ego in your back pocket and do the show. And that's what we did. And I did it for a while. I did it for a while. I bought uniforms and all. I got uniforms in the back out here now, millions of them, you know, but uh, I just got tired, you know, and I didn't want to do no more music. Hmm. What would you say is uh, distinctive or unique about your singing style? What what makes a singer stand out? Now, my style or the group style? What's mm-hmm. the style? You, you asked me what what I, say that again one more time. And well, first off, what would you say defines your singing style? What me? makes it unique? Me you personally. Ah. Yeah, my baritone, my baritone is pretty good. And then, too, I had a little falsetto going, you know. And then it's like, this. see, Floyd and I, we pride, prided, is that, I don't know if that's a word, but we took pride in singing unison patterns together. A lot of people don't know, that's Floyd and I singing unison patterns on a lot of those songs. And that was cool. That was cool. And, uh, and then we developed a sound was, and with, with with Jessica being there, doing the high part, and see Floyd could sing like he could sing like uh, 
You remember Blue and the Temptations, the bass player? Bass, bass singer Floyd could sing that low. Mm. So, and then his falsetto was like uh, uh, the guy in the stylistic. So Floyd could go from way down there to way up there. So that was cool. And then Jessica, of course, and then Charlene. And Barbara, Barbara's a little more country and western. That was her little vibe, you know. And then we did this song called Great Day. Now, you, if you were in L.A. when that song was out, we, on KJLH, it was a theme song with Rod McGrew. It was his theme song. But that's okay. Barbara. Well, I listen to KJLH all the time. So. Okay, okay. The song yeah. is called, called Great Day. Uh, Barbara and I sang that song. And Barbara and, and, and our guitar player, Terry Evans, they wrote the song. So that was cool, you know. So just in, in terms of, I think, the versatility, in, just in terms of me, that's what I tried to do because I told you I was I was influenced by Ross Barber and the four freshmen, and I always loved making that sound. And I didn't realize a lot of this stuff till you you get away from it because things are happening so quick, you know. But uh, nowadays I realize that was my contribution. And like I said, Floyd and Jessica, they were the, they were the heavyweight. Charlene, they were the heavyweight singers. My little stuff was a little popish, <laughs> you know. Grazing ain't ain't the hardest song in the world to sing, but you got to have you know, when inflections and stuff like that. And, and and then you don't realize it until people come up to you and talk to you about it, you know. So that was my little contribution. Well, when you were away from things in the 80s and through the 90s, what what was your take on, you know, the the influx of electronic music and and uh, producers being the, the, the guiding popular music and auto-tune where you don't have to really sing anymore? <laughs> yeah, that kind of... That kind of was whack to a degree, but I didn't say nothing. I didn't because I hey hey whatever it takes you to get to the bank or get you home that night is cool. Now when I get around my musician friends, you know real musicians like Clarence McDonald, Billy Osborne, Jerry Peterson, and we talk, it would be something else like what you're talking about. You know the auto tune and stuff like that, and and the, the noises and doing this and doing. As a matter of fact, I was in the studio yesterday, and we were talking about that. And it was funny you mentioned Harvey Mason. We were talking about Harvey Mason yesterday. We were talking about Joseph. It was funny you mentioned. I said, "Wow, was he in the studio with us?" I got a little song that we that that we put out. Uh, it's on YouTube called Something Special, and uh, where we just do different mixes on it. But uh, I think you know, hey, I did a little work. You know, I'm, I'm, I still got my little fingers and something. You know, and uh, but it ain't. It's no pressure. Like I play more baseball than I do music. Okay. <laughs> So that's how that went down. Well, so actually, Harvey, I'm hoping to have on later this year. He's got an album due in the spring. So mm. that's cool. I saw Harvey at uh, I saw, last time I saw Harvey was at Maurice White's memorial at the Agape Church out there. So I, I had a chance to holler at him. Mm. His son is a big deal now. I heard that's what we're talking about yesterday. The producer or something. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were talking about it yesterday. Harvey Mason. So Harvey, yep. Harvey's on a lot of our albums, if you, you probably noticed. If you search, I think, on the web now for Harvey Mason, his son, I think, comes up before he does. <laughs> okay, okay, <Yeah>. okay. Um, <clears throat> so are you doing any uh, performing nowadays, or are you totally re retired, or what's your story? Hey, man, the last gig I did was in 2016. We went to the Philippines. Now we, we we're, we're kind of big in the Philippines. They they like our stuff, old stuff and stuff like that. And if you if you go on YouTube, a lot of those uh, 
live concert was done in Manila. But uh, we went there in 2016, in 16, and I was just, I was still going to perform. But man, the offers, what they're offering and stuff like that, it, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And then you, when you got other people in the group, like I have a singer in the group, he, he matter of fact, he, he sings going in circles on, 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 the video, on YouTube. Uh, his name is Gino Henderson. But Gino is like, was in the play, uh, he went to stage, you know, Baby It's You by the Sorrells. And then he's in this play, uh, Heartbreak Hotel with Elvis. So, you know, people got to eat. And one of the other girls, she was in New York, you know, they doing plays and stuff. They got to eat. And the work wasn't, it wasn't coming in fast enough for me to, to say, hey, we got this and we got that. Plus the money wasn't right. So I said, later, I don't have to do this. You know, I get a little, <laughs> my little royalty checks and, you know, I'm cool. I'm, I don't have no headaches. So I've been retired for about a year and a half. You know, they say a musicians really never retire. I know, I know. I <laughs> see, like, 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 like when we had dinner with Billy in, in Maryland the other day, they're still working. They had just come off of a, a gig, you know, they're working. And see, see, people ask me, well, what happened? Well, see, we took off for 20 years. For 20 years, we didn't, we didn't work. You know, we just went in, in the mix. A lot of people didn't stop for that name recognition and the song recognition. Now, we get, we get airplay and all that kind of stuff, which is cool. You know, I appreciate that. But just in terms of answering, I, 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 got, I got burnt out, man. And I'm too old for that stuff, you know. If, I, I tell people, hey, something comes up and the money's right and the gig is right, then I'll look into it. Other than that, I'm cool. Well, Harry, if you look back on it all, is there anything you can point to that you would say you're most proud of as an accomplishment? Well, yeah, like uh, like putting the group together with Floyd and I, that's an accomplishment, you know, I think. Then guiding uh, the careers of the group, you know, uh, we had this, like off the cuff, you know, with, with Jim in and out and Jessica in and out. We had to work that stuff and keep going and keep the facade out there, you know, then getting this girl and this band member and that band member. That was, that was hard. That was hard. And I think we were blessed because we didn't, we didn't drug out or drink out, you know, and that was cool. You know, a lot of groups did that. And so I think just, just getting it together picking the, the songs that have stood the test of time. I didn't realize that. And but I realized Grayson is over 50 years old, man. You know? And then on YouTube, I see little kids singing the song. You know? And then uh, A Lover Let Me Be Lonely, people who covered the songs, you know, C.C. Uh, Diva, Paul, Paul Young, you know, uh, Luther Vandross, you know, all covering our songs. I'm proud of that. Definitely proud of that, you know? So uh, that, that's about it. You know, I'll probably think of something. I'll call you at 4 o'clock in the morning. Hey, man, I thought about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, just, just learning the business, you know, trying to apply what you learned when you were young to as you grow older and rolling with it, you know, because they were, we, hey, see, you got to be, that, that, that saying you say, you be careful what you wish for because you wish for it, then you got to be ready. You got to be ready, man. And we, we, our stuff, I mean, man, who who, who, who was your first single out of the box you rehearsed? We rehearsed for like nine months and we were gone. 
A lot of people work like the fifth. They rehearsed for a long time and they, they were back you know, on, on the shelf for a while. But we were blessed and we were lucky. So and we got Jim helped us get us ready. But it was happened so quick, man. So I appreciate that. Yeah, your arc with Friends of Distinction was different from a lot of groups. A lot of groups took two or three records to kind of yes. develop. Then yeah. they did it. You guys boom yeah. and then tapered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that I'm grateful for that. You know, I paid more dues afterwards than we did in the beginning, you know, which is hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, uh Harry, you know, it's been great talking to you and getting all these great stories about Friends of Distinction, such a classy, great um, act. And um, you know, here's hoping that it's quite a while until you uh, catch a spot on that bus. <laughs> I got you. I got you, man. Same to you. Yeah, you're younger than me, but yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Wow. What a trip it would have been hanging around that Los Angeles celebrity scene in the late 1960s. Can you imagine? We're fortunate to have Harry Elston paint such a vivid picture of it for us, as well as convey the amazing story of the fabulous Friends of Distinction. An enormous thanks again to him for sharing his classic tales and time with Truth and Rhythm. Also, sincere thank you to you, the viewer and listener of Truth and Rhythm. Thank you so much. Appreciate the support. And speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkus of channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. That's where Truth and Rhythm Quick Takes lives. That's where you'll get episodes before anyone else. Support what we do here. Support the artists. Support the legacies. Funk, jazz, and R&B. That's what we're all about, folks. Tell a friend. Tell family. Also, write me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know what you like about the show. Who else you'd like to see. Just rap about music. Tell me who are some of your favorite artists, favorite albums, favorite songs, uh, favorite concerts, favorite musicians favorite episodes of Truth and Rhythm, whatever it is. I'm very responsive and appreciate the feedback and interaction. This is your show. And with that, this is Scott, Dr. G. Skullfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.